everyone. Welcome to Gas It Out. So we've got uh, another great guest lined up for you on the show today. Bit of different surroundings for those of you who are watching us on the YouTube or Facebook episode. If you are listening in, you'll have to paint a mental picture of me uh, in a swimming pool and uh, Neil Hudson. <laughs> sat in a Ferrari. Yeah, in a, imagine, in a Ferrari. Not in a Ford in a Fiesta. Yeah. What on earth? Where are you? Basically, obviously, this is a last-minute call. I was on, on my way to the gym. You called. You're like, listen, we've got Hervé in 10 minutes. Can you do it? I went, well, not really, but yes. So, I was seriously hoping we'd have you like that. Doing bicep curls. Like with a muscle shirt on. Oh, like a muscle leotard. A leotard yeah. pumping iron. So you're sat yeah. outside the gym, or you told me well, you were going to the pub. No, I'm sat outside... Weatherspoons, believe it or classy, not, the, classy. The, classy, the gym's above it. So I was going to go into Weatherspoons when we tell her to do this, to buy a, a drink, not a beer, because I'm going to the gym, and use their Wi-Fi. Uh, it's wifi, five o'clock somewhere, back, Neil. It's five o'clock. It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> I got out of the car and realised I don't have my wallet, which is so annoying. You don't I'm have your wallet? Gym, so I, no, You've I know. You've gone out of I the know. house without your wallet? I never do that. I what? never, like, literally never. I couldn't, so, I'd panic. Like, what if something happened no, in my car? No, what I know, I know. I'm panicking now. But basically, why I've, why I've not brought my wallet is because I've got my gym shorts on because it's 30 degrees here. So I put my gym clothes on ready. I'm ready to walk straight into the gym. I've got my protein shake. I've got... Everything's pink because it's all Vicks stuff, by the way. Sorry. I've got a pink water... Well, two pink water bottles. Yeah, so... Anyway... Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, well, obviously, I know it's a bit of a rush job, but really quick word about what we've just seen at the weekend. Uh, well, what we're seeing in where, MotoGP where, at the moment, I, I don't know where, where, where to start. You, I know, I know. I like Mar Marquez is out, uh, which is bonkers, opening doors, obviously. Yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly he didn't break the titanium plate in his arm opening a door in his apartment. I can't believe them, expect us to believe that. He just can't have, come on. Exactly. Just, I it, mean, it, it must didn't. be something like a stress, you know, the amount, of, but I still don't get out even lifting weights and that. You don't bend titanium, do you? Have no. I, have you, no, you've the only, had titanium plates, haven't you, before? No, I've had screws in, but I know a lot of people who have, and I know people who've damaged them, and guess, guess how they've damaged them. This is going to come as a real shock. Right, you're not going to believe what I'm going to say. They've usually crashed a motorcycle, oh, and that, that could I be a motorcross. Say that. I didn't think. It was yeah, I know that that could be a motocross bike. It could be a dirt trap bike, or it could even be a road race bike. That's normally, so far in 46 years of being on this planet, I've never heard one person say they've managed to damage, displace, break, snap, twist a titanium plate by opening a door. I'm yeah. just not. So I'm not believing it. And then, obviously, so he's not there. Stefan Bradley comes in. We don't expect anything from Stefan. There's no blame on Stefan's shoulders or anything like that. He hasn't ridden a bike in six months and he gets launched into it. So we don't expect anything. But it hasn't worked for that team. We're expecting Fabio Quartararo to maybe back it up, maybe get three wins. Well, he, he has an absolutely, not a great race, just a normal race. Absolutely what yeah. you might expect from a satellite Yamaha his teammate gets on the podium. Brad Binder wins. We won't dwell too much on KTM, right? Because it's an amazing story. But we're going to speak to Ove Pontral, who's team manager at Tech3. And I'm sure he'll have a lot more to say about that, to be honest. So what about uh, what went on with Quattararo and Morbidelli then over the weekend? I, like like it, tables so, turned in a way. Yeah, literally from the first practice session, Morbidelli was faster than Quattararo. It looked like he got a better rhythm. But we he have qualified. seen that in the past before, haven't we? Where yeah, he but like he, he's had the rhythm. Yeah, but I think this last weekend, it, it, it was more of a standout, you know. But it, it was just a strange one because this is the bit I don't understand. It was the strangest race I've seen. The tyres weren't lasting, but we had consistent weather all weekend. So it was the same for everybody. Everybody had the same opportunity. It weren't like, well, it was a weird weekend. No mm. one got dry laps in and somebody was maybe landed on a setting. So it was a level playing field. But then when the race started, I mean, Maverick Vinales finished 14. What? You know, I, I, like, like one in front of Alex It's a bit, it's a bit like the Barcelona race. Was it a couple of years ago where 
they just drop down the order, the Yamahas. Meanwhile, while he's doing that, Rossi's going the other way. And actually, yeah. his pace was probably, if he'd have actually got a better start and been up there, he'd have had he'd a, been shot. On the podium, probably. He'd have had a yeah. shot at the podium with the, the pace. Alex Rins was fourth with one arm. Yeah. Which makes you think, Mio... how good that Suzuki? I know. Well, but Mia was nowhere. But Mia then and was nowhere, even though... Mia had a pace all weekend. What, I think what we're seeing is MotoGP's closer than it's ever been. That's a fact. Oh, did we Mia know get that. Taken out? Did Mia get taken out, though? Was he had his front wheel taken by Laquona? Yes, but he was nowhere up to that but point. Yeah, he was yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. 12th yeah. or 13th. But I think what we're seeing, because it's so close, Gav, that come a race, if, you, if you aren't feeling it or you, you have chosen the wrong front tyre or the setting's a bit off, you only need to be an extra, let's say, 0.3 off, but, you know, per lap. But that'll drop you right down. You know, mm. all of a sudden, in the olden days, a couple of years ago, if you, you thought you'd got the pace to battle for the podium, that might put you back down to seventh. Now it puts you down to 14th, and you look terrible, don't you? So yeah. I think there's a bit and, of that going on. And the big story for me at the moment is Ducati. I, I, I know yeah. there's all Mark Marquez, there's Fabio, there's KTM. Where the F? I know. Oh, Ducati. Ducati. I know it's straight. It's like the new bike just didn't work at all in Bruno. It wasn't bad in Jerez. They went to Bruno and they were well, literally the, the, thing the whole. Was, in Jerez, they got a podium in the first race with Gobby. Yeah. They were lined up for another one with Banyaya. They had Miller should have been there or thereabouts as well, but, but dropped it down the road. But Dovi came back in that second Jerez race. And you're thinking, actually, this, this is his chance. You were saying this is his big chance. It didn't materialise. 18th on the grid. Worst yeah. qualifying. And, yeah. And you're thinking, okay, he'll turn it round. But it didn't happen. No. No, he just he never had the pace, did he? And now you I keep looking at that Ducati. With, oh, and... No, well, no, they all should accept Zarco. But you look at the new Ducati with, with even more lumps or bumps on it. We've got this shape-shifter device where the riders are dropping the bike, coming out of corners, having to press the buttons in the braking zones. I don't know if it's all getting a bit too much. I don't know. What we've to be careful is that we don't criticise Ducati's bike on one race weekend. No, no, of course. But it's normally a Ducati track. So what we will know in a few days' time is when we get to Austria, <laughs> a track where Ducati have never been beaten. I mean, if they struggle there, then I don't know what's going on. They've still not signed all the riders. It does seem that they're in a bit of a mess, to, yeah, to be a, honest. A weird one, isn't it, with all the... So, yeah, it's just a strange there. one, strange one. Yeah, it's really, really bizarre. And a quick word on... Because we, we had World Superbike and British Superbike. I just want to have a quick word on them. Johnny Ray back to his best, wasn't he, in, in oh, Portugal? Johnny in Portugal, yeah, Portimao is sensational. And it's just, it's classic Johnny. Great starts. He, get, he gets to turn one and he's at full race mode. As in, there's no building up to it. Yeah. There's no settling in lap. And yeah. it just, well, I, I don't well, know how many times credit, I've said it. He's the best in rider in, in that championship. Yeah, yeah, true. Credit in a way, yeah. though. Yamaha did well. I thought Van der Mark, even though he was taking off on most laps, down, down over that little rise. Uh, and Reading, the way he turned around a bad start to the weekend, actually in, that, in the second main race, did well, didn't he? Yeah, figured, he figured it out, basically, with Ferredin. Obviously, he tested there, but when you've not raced at a track, and it's a funny track, though, it's a slippy track. So, you could see throughout the weekend, he was understanding it. And they were, they were way off with the setting in the first race. I spoke to Chaz about it, he did the same. He improved a lot throughout the weekend. Yeah. So, they, tw they tweaked the electronics, not the setting. It was more like just the electronics. He said they'd gone completely wrong. But he said the bike's so sensitive, that Ducati. If you get it just a bit wrong with the electronics, you, you know where. Yeah. So. What about and what about BSB? What did you make of that? That was lively, wasn't it? Oh my God, I've missed BSB. <laughs> my God, BSB. The Irwin, the Irwin brothers. Sit, oh my God, I sit and watch. I'm now like the biggest fan of the Irwin brothers. <laughs> and I mean, I know Glenn quite well. I don't know Andrew at all, and uh, I've never spoke to him. And obviously, I've watched them before, but I watched Andrew, and I'm like, he reminds me of Chris Walker. The, the way he rides, the way he rides really close to his opponents, the way... What, if what there's did not you a make gap, of the disqualification then? Because obviously... I thought it was ridiculous. Anyone, he should have anyone, been disqualified. He should have been. Shouldn't have been. No, that's what I, I was thinking, but... No, it, I could, people, were, some people were saying it was obvious. And I thought, it, it, is it? I don't know, it's is it obvious? Unfortunately for Andrew, they're not looking at that individual no. incident 
And that is, that's annoying because that's not fair. What they're doing is they're looking at his reputation. And yes, we know he's made a few mistakes and he's been over-aggressive and he's admitted that. But, but what I saw was a racing incident. It, was, it, it wasn't ideal. There was a bit of a gap. He's trying to go under him at the top of Hollywood. Brooks didn't see him and they collide. And unfortunately, in that situation, it's usually the guy on the outside. He got his, obviously, Brooks got his handlebar hooked. And down he went. He can't disqual. He didn't deserve to be disqualified, and then there's another penalty as well. He's got to set off, start from the back of the grid, and it the next yeah, race, I believe. Like that, yeah, yeah. It just seemed way too harsh. Way it too harsh. We made accumulation of points there, saying I don't know. I I felt it was fairly similar. I know it's completely different incident to the one we saw in MotoGP where Zarka was given a long lap penalty. Amazing, by the way, as we have talked about on the TV. Ultimately stunning how he did the long lap penalty, uh, but just thought it was harsh. Actually, but like Andrew, that's what Andrew should have been given something like that. Like a, I didn't, I don't know if they have the long lap route loop. Yeah. But they have it in BSB. All yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. even if they give him two, but taking away all these points, I don't know. I, well, I, well, I know. I, in my opinion, he didn't, he didn't deserve that at all. But bloody hell, it's entertaining to watch. Oh yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, it's uh, yeah, and and who knows who's going to win that championship now? Because well, that's thrown a whole other well, set of what about the Hondas? The Stunning. Yeah, that's them it. Hondas. They accelerate, they stop well. I mean, it's so entertaining. Good old BSB never fails, does it? Yeah, yeah it doesn't at all. Uh, right, we better get on to uh, Hervé Poncherel. Let's uh, have a chat about um, Hervé. In fact, I'm look- we recorded something a little bit earlier when I first called Neil. You'll see. Interesting. I don't know uh, who this might be. Could be Hervé, it could be Neil Hodgson. And it's Neil Hodgson. I mean, that's wonderful, isn't it? I'm in my car. I've got 4G actually, Gav, and get rid of this. I was going to go in Weatherspoons, and then I've not got my wallet because I'm going to the gym. What, I don't even... what a standard, obviously. I've not got. <laughs> Turn your phone onto the side. Yeah, have you worked in TV before? <laughs> it's harder on the side because now, now I've got to hold it where I can balance. I, I'm going ah, right, to balance. Okay. Well, put it on. Put it up. Put it up. If it's easier. It, it's just so much easier. And it'll be yeah, dead stable. I mean, we're going to be on. Uh, we're going to be on a watch. We call it on a three-wayer. So yeah, that that's, yeah. So it's quite funny. Um, yeah. So we we literally got a call about half an hour ago, uh, saying so. I've got a dog who's roaming around. You'll notice my different location as well. But hey, showing off now because the lounge is looking nice, Gav. I haven't finished nice. it. I haven't finished it yet. As part of one of the jobs today, that that you might be able to see actually, just over my right shoulder there. That's what I need to cover up. That's the um, uh, new cast iron radiator that's not gone on. So that's actually a big bear patch on the wall. So I'm just right. gonna squeeze that there like that. You can't see, you can't see. It looks oh, all right to me. See, can you? Um, so, yeah, what's your fast been this morning? Because we just got a word about half an hour ago, Hervé uh, Ponsreal's here, and he actually, he's already here. You'd be telling the story right. while I admit him. Right. Um, basically, I had a works call with insurance, obviously with the good old Mackenzie Hodgson insurance, which is going really well, I have to say. I'm so proud of that, honestly. We, we, we are doing really, really well. Um, so there's quite a lot involved with that. And then I was on my way to the gym so I literally I got to the gym then did my works call and then you told me we're going to speak to the famous Hervé Poncherol the Monsieur nicest, Le Ponch. Monsieur Le the Ponch. nicest guy nicest guy in the paddock that's what I say and you didn't even uh, know he was on the phone call did you Neil you didn't even know he was there yet <laughs> bonjour Hervé bonjour les amis uh, I'm very very glad to finally talk to you and um, have a look what's behind me, you know, I mean, a few hours ago. Bad backdrop, yeah. is it? No, 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 no. I'm outside and uh, it's up and down the weather at the moment. A few hours ago, it was, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to say it, but raining cats and dogs, as you say, <laughs> heavily. Um, and now we have a little bit of uh, bright uh, sunshine. So I, uh, I'm going to do the chat with you uh, on the, the terrace of the hotel. Fingers crossed that it stays like that for the weekend, Hervé, as well, because obviously we're between the Czech and Austrian Grand Prix. So part of all this new regime, isn't it, Hervé, is that you can't go home in between. Am I right with that? You've got to sort of stay in the team bubble. Is that correct? 
yes, we have a, a protocol which is very strict, and I think it needs to be strict. Uh, you know, we are roughly a bit less than 2,000 people traveling from a place to another. Uh, of course, going to hotel uh, every night, uh, having to eat every night, and uh, the risk to, to meet somebody infected is quite high. So we need to, we need to stay focused, we need to stay serious, because, uh, you know, um, it could be meaning uh, the end of the, of the championship. So I think we have, a, yeah, a protocol which is working so far, Touchwood, um, quite well. But uh, we, need, we need to stick to it, you know. Every year, for me, this is a bit my summer vacation because in between Czech and Austria, we got a few days and I drive either to Prague, uh, to Graz, uh, to, uh, to you Bratislava. Know, Bratislava. Yeah, we, saw, we, we saw you, you in Bratislava. We saw you last, <laughs> last, time year. last year. I met yeah, you there did. last year, you know, Salzburg. And, uh, and this year we came straight through and, uh, and, you know, we are in the hotel. But I mean, we can't complain. We're happy to be back to, to be back racing. I think a lot of people will like to have uh, our life. So, you know, we are, we are seeing incredible racing. Uh, for sure, we miss you guys, uh, the media, we miss the spectators, the fans, we miss the atmosphere, the paddock with the hospitalities. Now it's more mask running from the, uh, you know, from the, the truck to, to the restaurant and back to the truck and to the box. But uh, this is what it is. And uh, thank God we can have a great racing like the one we saw last week. Yeah, it was unbelievable and we miss it. But when you've got a show on like we've got last weekend or even the first couple of weekends, it's absolutely in, incredible at the moment. Obviously, Ove, you're a team manager, but you're also president of ERTA. So you get really involved in all the, you know, organisation and how things get decided. How difficult has it been in both those roles to fa actually have racing this year? You can imagine that it was very difficult to even think yeah. to have uh, a championship without any spectators because our business model, you know, the, the, the way, the, way the, the whole thing is, is working is based on having spectators. Mm. Uh, this is also why the sponsors are investing in our championship because they can see, you know, the people around the track, they can bring their guests. Therefore, to have races with nobody on track with no hospitalities, which means you can't have your sponsors coming. They can't bring their important guest, which is the main reason why they've been investing on you and rely only on TV. It was something we didn't know if it was going to work because at the end of the day, uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, that's, that's the Austrian. Is that, is that a for Zeltweg? Is that, is that the, uh, is that, you've had a, I can't believe Hervé, I know that you're an important man, but he's organized a fly pass for us. That is seriously impressive. That's impressive. <laughs> can't hear you. Can you hear me? Not, we can hear you Hervé, we can hear you. Yeah, it is okay. okay we, but... we can too. You might, you might be able to see us going like that. We can hear you, but. <laughs> Very sorry, you know, it was a, a war, you know, aircraft. <laughs> That was uh, practicing. I don't know what they're doing, but uh, very sorry about that. No, I was telling you that it was it was a tough mission, you know, to to think how we can do. And for a few for a few weeks, together with uh, Dorna FIM, we've been scratching our head, and uh, we were not sure we could have had a, a championship. Finally, everybody made efforts, although there are fixed costs, you know, that you can't uh, reduce because the traveling is the same, the spare parts are the same. Uh, um, but uh, I think everybody made a big effort, especially Dorna, to make it happen. The only thing we are really praying is that uh, 2021 could be a bit normal. I don't think it's going to be like 19, but uh, it's going to be difficult to carry on uh, with another year like uh, like yeah. the one we're living now. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm talking imagine. about the economy, the economical. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, situation. I can imagine. I'm, I'm, well, everything you said means a lot less money coming in, doesn't it, Neil? And we, we've, I mean, we've seen it. We're not at the races ourselves, are we? And that, you know, that. That's and one more stuff. time, one more time, we miss you. No, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Oh, we miss you, Herve. What is the plan? Is the plan for next year for there to be 20 races or 21 races? That was sort of roughly previously planned is that still going to be the case 
You know, Neil, uh, we've been asking this question last week when we had a, you know, um, um, a, a meeting together with Dorna. I think uh, the plan and the idea is still to go back to the 20 races calendar. But at the moment, who can predict, who can say what's going to be the situation in a month, two months, three months? And even more difficult to say what's going to be happening by March 2021. So the idea, the will of everybody is to go back to a 20 races calendar. But uh, we need to wait and see what is going to be, you know, the world situation on a sanitary ground, but also on the economical ground also, because it's, uh, you know, to have races, you need organizers who are ready to take the risk to organize the race. Mm. And uh, we are also depending on, on the organizers to, to understand how the calendar could be. But yes, we are all very positive. Dona is very positive. Dona is fighting like you, you can't believe. And the plan is to, to stick to the 20 races calendar next year. So it's one easy. more time, fingers crossed. It's easy, isn't it, to be critical of Dorna at some points? And, uh, you know, because people are, they, they remember racing back in the days when there wasn't so regimented and so on and so forth. I've worked with, you know, I've been involved there. And I, we all, I think, from BT, where, from our side and the TV, think a good job's been done. We've had some great shows and actually racing's got going when many people uh, didn't think. But I just wonder, in terms of um, being a team manager, how you've lived through the financial crisis after September the 11th, financial crisis after 2008, the lack of tobacco sponsorship that's affected you in some way. And somehow you and your team or the whole of the paddock actually seems to, to reinvent itself. But is this the toughest that you've known it? You know, after each crisis, you know, we are trying to, to learn. And uh, we always said in the MotoGP Championship that... Uh, we have to monitorize very carefully the inflation. You know, we don't want to grow too fast, too much, without any reason. This is why our technical rule is quite strict. Mm. This is why I remember when uh, Carmelo and, and Irta were fighting for the single ECU against the manufacturers. Uh, that was a tough fight, but we managed to convince everybody. And finally, all these uh, rules have helped us to have a great show to have very high level technically, uh, you know, our bikes are on a very high level, but without going too far in terms of investment by manufacturers. This is why, you know, Suzuki came back, KTM joined, Aprilia came back. And, uh, and I think altogether, you know, the, 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 the championship is, uh, is showing that uh, it is sustainable at the moment. You know, we are, we are not costing that much. Uh, we froze the engine and aerodynamic spec for 2020 and 21, which is, I think, something very important and very good for manufacturers and, of course, team, because we are going to renegotiate with our manufacturer the lease fee, which is a very important part of our budget. And I think, as, as usual, you know, everybody makes an effort, you know, because this is a, a job for all of us. But before being a job, it's a passion. You know, and if you ask your guys, you know, to understand the situation and make an effort, riders, your crew, yourself, everybody's doing it. And this is how we can go through the tough time, you know, because for sure, if uh, when everything is relatively easy on the financial side, you just uh, take off and forget about the, the real life and the real world, you're not going to last long. Mm. Yeah. And Hervé, I mean, you've been involved, obviously, in racing. You've been in, involved in Grand Prix, in the Grand Prix paddocks since the 80s. Would you say that this is the, the best it's ever been? As in, obviously, not this year with COVID, but, I mean, the rules, the racing. I mean, the gap from the fastest rider to the slowest rider is, you know, one and a half seconds average. What, what are, what's your take on it? I am... Um convinced that we are going through the best time of, of MotoGP and Grand Prix racing. For sure, I always say, you know, everything which is related to your 20th, your 30th, is, is the best years of your life. Because you are young, you don't have too much worry, you think life is forever, and everything seems easy. Uh, so I can understand the people who were 20, looking at uh, Kevin, Mick, uh, Eddie, uh, Wayne, uh, you know, fighting each other on the 502 stroke, that was the best era. But 
Look, now we have six manufacturers. The six manufacturers are all capable to finish on the rostrum because even Aprilia, you know, they show that uh, on a good day, they can be on the rostrum. So we have incredibly close racing. We have a lot more uh, safe circuit. The safety has improved a lot. You know very well, Neil, you've, you've been a, a top rider and you've been through and riding on some tough circuits. Here the war is coming back. <laughs> so where, that's not good news where the circuit is opposite uh, <coughs> airbase, isn't it, Neil? like Zeltveg and you see it down a lot of the riders fly in there don't they into that airstrip opposite and you often get those fly past don't we all stand in the paddock waving at the, uh, yeah. the guys who are going to do the show on a, on a race day on Sunday so we've got Hervé looking around. What having it's got a bit of his own air show. Right, anyway, to come back on what Neil was saying, I think this is the best time here you know, because uh, also you know uh, we 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 can work in a better way. The the, the teams have more means to work well. We have a uh, priority has been uh, put on. Security, safety for the riders. You know, we got the air fences. We didn't have that. We got circuits that more are more and more safe. And all this is helping the rider to push more and to have a better show. And the fact that we were talking before about the relatively um, low investment that needs relatively to be, you know, done by a factory. We have now six manufacturers, and in the past, remember, it was Yamaha versus Honda, with sometimes two Suzuki, you know, in the middle. And I think this is a, a big step forward. And uh, I think for you guys, for media also, you can mm. see that you got much more access to many more things, and uh, you can uh, do your job, I think, in a much more professional way. Even though mm. if you are talking to me in your car. Yeah. <laughs> he's always the, he's always the professional, is he? <laughs> what what's the next step then? How can we make it even better? Is that possible? Because it seems fantastic at the moment. You know, unfortunately, this uh, this crisis is hitting the whole world, and it's also hitting MotoGP badly. Uh, we were hoping to have uh, even more races. We were, you know, hoping to. We have a few ideas that uh, at the moment are on hold. Uh, right now, we are a lot on the brake pedal. Uh, we just want to keep the championship going. And uh, uh, before, before we see a next step, I think we need to wait for another, I would say, two, three years. Um, yeah. The good news is, although the world economy is not um, going really well at the moment, it looks like all motorcycle makers are doing a great job. Mm, I don't know yeah. if it's the fact that you travel less by plane or the fact that you want to be a little bit more on your own uh, because what's best that uh, to ride your bike with a helmet? This is the, the, you know, the, the best way to be you know, having fun uh, without uh, uh, too much close contact with anyone else. So the economy of our industry is quite good. The TV figures are really good. I don't know about uh, in UK, but most yeah, of the figures good. I heard are, are really good at the moment. So, um, you know, there, there are good signs, but I think we need to, to stay calm and at the moment to, to keep it as it is until we can move forward again. Hey, the figures are particularly good in France at the moment, Hervé. I, I spoke <laughs> to some of our colleagues at Canal Plus and I will ask actually about what happened with the, the COVID test for them, but what a great time for French racing with Joan Zarco doing a pole position the other day. Fabio Quartararo such a breath of fresh air, isn't he? And I know you've known Fabio from when he was doing the Junior World Championship. You've always had one eye on him. What he's doing, I know, I know he's not your team and everything, but I know you're proud, aren't you, of being French and having someone like him and Joan up there? Yes, you know, I, I know Fabio's father. Etienne for many, many years, you know, when I was working for Honda France, he was riding and I was uh, landing in motorcycles. So we know each other much before Fabio was, was even born. So I've been following, uh, you know, Etienne and his son. And, uh, you know, when a father is talking to you about his son, you know, he's always the best son. He's always <laughs> the fastest rider and he's going to win anything. So I was listening, but 
always with the filter that, okay, he's talking about his son, so let's see. But I was amazed by uh, how quick he was growing. And when he started to enter the, 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 the World Junior Championship, which we, we call the CEV, and starting winning there and winning twice in a row, it was a reality that uh, this, uh, this young guy, the son of my, uh, of my friend, was, was really fast. And um, yeah, we even did the Quartarao agreement, I don't know if you remember, to allow the, the winner of the World Junior Championship in Moto3 to access before 16 in the Moto3 World Championship. So, yeah, that was a, a really exciting moment because I have to say that in France, uh, we don't have so many, you know, top riders in MotoGP Championship like they're having in Spain or even in Italy. Um, uh, it was a bit of a, of a deception, I would say. Uh, the first year, the second year in Moto3, even the switch to Moto2 was not... Mm. You know, ideal, and we knew how fast this guy was. We knew that he was a, a real jewel, but we didn't really understand what was going on, and it was difficult because he was so pissed off. As as a teenager, it's difficult to talk to them, and you never know what's the real reason at that time. And suddenly, you know, I remember last year when I was talking to Razlan when I said to Yamaha that I was leaving, and uh, Razlan took the opportunity to replace us in Saudi Yamaha as a satellite operation, and. Uh, Frankie Morbidelli was the obvious choice because he had a two years contract with, uh, with Yamaha and, uh, and, uh, and the team. But uh, the rider number two, you remember, it was a question of maybe Lorenzo, maybe Pedroza. Yeah. And they were hesitating within this name. And I was uh, uh, in Assen, I was in, uh, in my office watching the Moto2 race with uh, Raslan. Fabio just won the, the one before in Barcelona. His first ever Moto2 yeah. win. And we are watching the race and I told him, look at this kid. Who is he? I, said, I think he, he's doing well. And he was coming back and he eventually finished second at that race. Anyway, to make it short, uh, they were a bit lost. And uh, following a lot of um, advices, they decided to bet on the youth. And I don't think they regret at all. Uh, <laughs> what, 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 what he's done last year and what he's doing this year is unbelievable uh, because he's uh, not only fast, but he's calm. Uh, he can hold the pressure and, and work with the pressure really well. And uh, yeah, being a French guy, he's helping a lot, you know, MotoGP to, to have a big boost in, uh, in front. And now Joan coming back, it was the first ever one, two in the in the top class uh, for French riders. So yeah, they are writing history. These two guys, and we are very, very happy. But you know, I'm more happy for for MotoGP history, for MotoGP racing than to be a you know nationalist carrying my uh, my French flag. You know, I'm. Uh, no, but we're, I'm, we're, uh, we're happy too, though, Hervé. And we're not French. We're absolutely. I, I, it's I can great imagine, but also what happened last uh, weekend, you know, yeah. was unbelievable. You know, to see. A rookie winning uh, his first race after three races, a brand that has never won a, a race, that has never been on the on a dry podium, being on the podium and on the, the, the top step, is also exciting. Uh, like uh, you know, we wouldn't have imagined in our wildest dream. Huh? It hasn't. It hasn't happened. I mean, that that hasn't happened before. Yeah, Mark Marquez won in his second race or whatever, yeah. won as a rookie, but he was on a Repsol Honda and he'd been, you know. Uh, world champion in Moto2 and in 125s, and everyone expected something like that, expected him to be there. For Brad, for Brad Binder, a South African rookie who, you know, we, we did an interview with him um, on this podcast a few months ago during lockdown, and the objectives were, you know, getting to the points, that sort of thing. If I start doing that and start doing it regularly, I'll start. And in the third race, it's not like we're at Portimao, a brand new circuit that we've never been to before. It's not like there's that many unknowns there. We're at Bruno, one of the oldest tracks on the calendar that everybody knows, that everyone's aware of how to set a bike up. And him and KTM have come and done the business. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? It's absolutely bonkers. You know, I, I love it so much because since I joined KTM, I joined KTM knowing that uh, we will have to work hard. We mm. will, uh, you know, have to start almost from the bottom compared to where we were with our previous manufacturers. Uh, but I really like the energy. And I could hear so many specialist uh, telling us you will never win with a tubular steel tubular chassis 
you will never win with WP. You have to go with uh, the yellow ones, etc., uh, etc. Et and um, every time we were doing something not so bad, like a good lap time in qualifying, a good lap time in the test. Yeah, but this is a one lap trying too hard. Paul was quite often the fastest, and yeah, but Paul is only good to follow somebody and do a quick lap. But the the overall package is is still behind and will never be a winner until they follow what the others are doing. And I was so glad, you know, I would have liked to to be to have Brad with me, which was the plan before Zarko decided to leave. Uh, so, you know, it makes me think and wonder because oh. I'm still chasing this MotoGP <laughs> victory that uh, I, I never had. Huh? And um, but I was I was thinking of all these guys, you know, and I was so happy to see that Brad won that race on a really regular base. There was no crashes in front. Okay, you can say Mark was not here, but outside of that, everybody was on the grid, relatively fit, everybody pushed, and Brad, you know, won the race, which is an incredible achievement, but without having to say, yeah, but, but, but. No, he won the race because he was the fastest, the best, and uh, and the bike was the best, because without Paul's slight mistake, I think it could have been a one-two, and without Miguel FP3 crash, it could even have been a one, two, three. So I'm I'm dreaming now, but you know, the um, this is very refreshing to see that. And I would just would like to say something. I'm not paid to say that. I'm not paid to say that. But you know, somebody like Stefan Pierre, who is a KTM owner, he had, sorry to say, the courage. I wanted to say the the the, the, the two wrong things. You know exactly. <laughs> um, you know you, you can go say against that. this. You know, but even Ducati, they had, they had to bend when they were having their tubular chassis and to follow what the others do. And even Honda, when they were with Showa suspension, they had to bend in front of the rider's uh, push to have the same suspension than everyone. And this man, Stefan Pierre, just said, I'm going to do there with my DNA. My DNA is orange steel tubular chassis, and I want to work with my own suspension, which are WP. And uh, and I want to tell him that uh, we need brave people like this. We need people that don't follow everybody and uh, that are not in the uniformity. Because sometimes I read a little bit, and I shouldn't, you know, what uh, the we call internal, you know, on the yeah. on internet the 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 the, the, the comments. Yeah. And uh, the people who say it was better before because we had more tires, more suspension, are the ones who say. Why don't you have the same suspension and the same chassis and you know the same everything and the others? So I think diversity is what makes the world beautiful. And in our world, if we can have a little bit of diversity already, we have one ECU, one tire, and we understand why. So the thing we can decide and have different, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, and you know what? That diversity has actually helped Fabio come through because it was the speed-up chassis that worked exactly. well in a particular way in Moto2 that was different to the Calyx and worked. And it's so you know, and coming back, coming back to Moto2, and again, there is no bitterness in that at all. Um, what lies behind me? Uh, just, I don't know. Is that your dog? Do you it's a dog wolf. You? It's a wolf. You know, we are in the mountains in Austria. <laughs> anyway, you know. When I was uh, when I was having my own bike, my Mistral, my uh, you know yeah. Moto2 bike, you know I have had Marcel Schröter, Xavier Vierge, Remy Gardner, and, and a lot of others, and they were all telling me, ah, and we have one Kayaba suspension at that time. How ah, we want a Calex chassis with all in suspension? But if you look at the result now, they're doing more or less the same. I'm sorry to say. So well, worse. The day, in, in, yeah, worse, really. No, no, with, but with, uh, anyway, I don't want to comment. Yeah, you know what I mean. What I want to say is a rider should have courage, bold, should believe. And uh, this is what makes, you know, racing also exciting. Mm. Because if everybody wants the same, you have to understand that some guys are better than others. And sometimes, you know, okay, some people think Ducati won because they were on a different set of tires. Would have been uh, the same situation if they would be on the same run. So sometimes, to have something different, even in some occasion it's a bit down, could be a bit better. So you have to think at the overall picture. And again, we go back to the diversity and we need diversity to make it exciting and also for your media. Otherwise, it's just, uh, you know, uh, a national cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's just same old, same old, isn't it? Yes, and what, yes, what yes, yes, Herve, what's possible this weekend then? You're going basically to the home track, KTM's yeah. home <laughs> track, the, the, the home of that motorcycle. What is possible? But, you know, I would like to say just one quick thing. Uh, I've been reading in the comment post uh, check race that KTM won because they had a, a Michelin special tyre done for KTM. Sorry, complete bullshit. The tyres <laughs> were decided before. Uh, apart from Danny, nobody tested in uh, in Czech Republic, and we were scratching our head what to do and what to use in terms of tires. We tested the front yeah. soft, the front medium, the front hard, same thing. So the, again, this is this is not the reality. No, we didn't yeah, believe now, that though. Now I read that uh, all the MotoGP KTM riders have been testing and testing in uh, in Spielberg. Only one, one day. It was nine degree track temperature. It was just straight after the COVID uh, lockdown that was Paul together with Danny. And they did one day and it was damp most of the time. Mm. But yeah. Miguel, Brad, Iker were not there. But, but that's, so, that's... And, we, and KTM has not tested so much more. You know, we test much more in Sepang or in Jerez than, uh, than we, that KTM is testing in Austria. Sure, this is their home country. Uh, last year, we could see with Miguel, he did his best ever result uh, of 2019, and the bike is working quite well. But outside of that, I can't say we have a huge advantage here. Yeah, and the, but, but people might say that about the tyres, but in theory, they're supposed to work with an inline four engine. They're not, you know what I mean? The, 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 the whole concept of people suggesting that these uh, certain things are made for certain people, I just don't I'm saying nothing because you know the day, in line four, the day the day in line four is winning two races in a row, everybody's stupid if exactly. you don't have an inline four. And then the day the V4 is winning, and exactly. then what do you do with an inline four? You know, it's a production based uh, engine configuration. So, you know, I think we should forget about listen to the specialists, just have fun, let the people have different ideas go out with different concepts and see what's the best without criticizing with the one hey, behind. Do you know how Just we can do it? Enjoying the show. It, I know yes, what we can do. Be. We could have a race. Let's have a race. Let's put them all on track <laughs> together. And whoever finishes at the end of the day and at the end of the year uh, is the winner. That's what I think we should do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is a good plan, Gavin. A good plan. <laughs> it will um, never catch on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you must have been so pleased for Miguel at the weekend, though, as well. Um, was, we know there was frustration from him with Brad coming in, so on and so forth. Big, but, big frustration. Yeah, no, a lot. No, but, I, I was, I was happy. Sorry to interrupt, but no, no, I'm happy because uh, Miguel was uh, on course for a really good result, and we couldn't make it in Jerez for the reasons you know. Uh, I thought I think we could have done very well there, but anyway, we will never know. No. Uh, we were also doing really well until FP3 last lap where Miguel crashed, uh, where he was having a lap that would have put him inside uh, Q2 direct, and that moment was the key moment of our Czech weekend. Um, so I'm happy he finished six. I'm happy the lap time were similar uh, than the one from Brad, but you know. We, when, when you see, I would, I would, honestly, I love Brad. He deserved that win. And I'm so happy he won for him, for KTM and Chapeau, everything I can say. But I would have loved to be there also, you know, because it would be an incredible story. It was a big, big bet from, for me to, to leave Yamaha, to go to KTM. And it would have been an incredible story. Still, it is an incredible story. Yeah, yeah. But, but I would have liked, and at least I believe. You know, um, we with a bit better grid position, a podium was a possibility, and that would have been great. So, yes, I'm happy with Miguel Race because he doesn't do too many mistakes. He's fast, he's clever, he's growing. We could see that his race pace was good enough to, to be in front, but six is good. But when you are a fighter <laughs> in the competition world, this is not exactly what you are targeting. No, no it's coming though, isn't it? Exactly. It, it, it's coming. And also the fact that Brad won will give Miguel even more motivation and confidence because he knows, obviously, they were teammates. When whenever they normally go head to head, Miguel is normally the guy. So, and obviously, no, Miguel knows no, that no. Better I, than I, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, also for Miguel, I think, you know, and, but 
I'm also thinking about Paul. That must have been difficult to swallow. And I think the, the Sunday oh, night, yeah. uh, you know, it was uh, certainly difficult to sleep for Paul, thinking of all what has been done, you know, with that project and him uh, watching the rookie winning the race. No, oh, but yeah. at the end of the at the end of the day, the guy who won deserves to, to win. Yeah. I'm really I'm really happy, really, really happy for Brad. But Gavin's question was, are you happy with uh, your Czech performance with Miguel? Yes, but also a little bit no, and this is why. Yeah. <laughs> he's a good he's a good lad though, isn't he, Miguel? Intelligent, as you say. Like too intelligent. Too intelligent to be a motorcycle racer, surely. <laughs> when you have people I, like... I I tell you one thing. I have discovered a different Miguel this year because uh, I was a bit uh, thinking like you last year. I was impressed by his maturity. I was impressed by his cleverness, by his calm, by his capacity to analyze everything. But I was always saying, hmm, you know, sometimes to be uh, a top, top rider, you need to be a bit mad, a bit yeah. wild, a bit crazy. Um, but this year, I have seen another Miguel. I think uh, the fact that now he has completely recovered uh, his right shoulder, he's fully fit. Uh, the fact that he feels really good on the bike, which has improved tremendously from last year. Uh, he is uh, ready for something great. And uh, I wouldn't, uh, you know, delete him for some podiums before the end of the year. And as uh, Neil said, you know, they were always head to head with, uh, with Brad. They are very similar in terms of uh, riding level. Uh, they will be teammates next year. And everybody knows that the first guy you want to beat is your teammate. And uh, it's going to be interesting. But uh, I'm very impressed by the way Miguel 2020 has evolved compared to mm -hmm. Miguel 2019. It's a big step. Yeah. And uh, if I had a little bit of doubt in 19, I know now Miguel can be a world champion in MotoGP. Yeah, that's wow. exciting to hear, isn't it? That's exciting for everybody. Yeah. Um, obviously, as well, you've already... Uh, I've got to ask about... I know, I know we're only in three into this year, but we know what your lineup is for next year. And um, obviously, Ika's going to stick on. And we're, we've been impressed by Ika. Obviously, I don't think things have gone his way look-wise and confidence. And he's a young kid still. He really is a young kid. But you're also going to be welcoming in Petrucci, Danilo, <laughs> who's another fantastic character. But it was interesting how it all got worked out and how everything, when the dust settled, because the dust is still in the air at Ducati at the moment. I mean, it's all still flying a lot around. Of dust. A, lot of, a lot of dust. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, we, we, I don't think what might be happening there. But how, where, how, yeah, how interesting that you're going to have Danilo. How much are you looking forward to that? And obviously, I know you've still got, you know, 10 races left with your current riders, but. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Danilo is, uh, is an incredible character that we all know. He's a lot of fun, a lot of uh, an incredible sense of humor. Every time he goes to a press conference, everybody cries. You know, he makes them laugh too much. Uh, and he's a normal guy. You know, he's, uh, he's somebody very humble. He's somebody who everybody enjoyed to, to spend any minute with him and work with him. So this is clear. I remember that he won Mugello last year, and uh, the last lap fight with uh, Alex and Andrea was a uh, was a great uh, great lap. And to beat these two guys is not easy, and not too many people did it. So I know that. Um, when Paul decided to leave uh, KTM, it was a bit of a shock inside uh, the company. I can tell you, uh, because he's been so much uh, involved in that project and he's been the leader since day one, and they didn't expect. So it was a bit of a, of a shock, as I said. And then, uh, you know, Pete's been thinking together with Mike Leitner and, uh, you know, what to do. My first recommendation was uh, go for the youth. You know me. I'm always yeah. uh, thinking, you know, you prepare tomorrow with, uh, <laughs> with, with the young guys. Um, so we had a lot of names, but the, 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 the negotiation and the decision was done by, by Pete and Mike Leitner. And um, one day they told me we've signed Danilo. And I said, ah, interesting, good. You know, he's coming with Ducati experience. He will be, you know, giving you a lot of good information. And uh, he's a GP winner. And, uh, you know, we have three young, young guys. So the experienced guys uh, next to the three young guys is interesting. But in my head, it was for, for to replace Paul in the factory team. That was, that was it. And then 
Pete told me, no, no, you didn't understand. He's going to come to your team. And I said, but what, what does that mean? Uh, Miguel is going to go to the factory team. And then I started to understand. And, um, okay, there are a few reasons uh, to, to, to do that. I think the first one is KTM loved the Brad Binder-Miguel Oliveira combination. Uh, a few days before they signed Danilo Petrucci, they were here doing some promotion on the, some um, riding experience with Moto2 bike, both Miguel and Brad. And Pete and Mike uh, had a dinner with them. And they told me when we saw these two guys laughing together, we could see that they are really a team, these two. You know, they've been in Moto3 together, in Moto2 together. And for Pete, it was like a revelation. Sometimes it happens. And this is what makes our world, and it's especially inside KTM, exciting. Is nothing is planned like uh, in some uh, big uh, world company where you, you know. So, and then for him, he said it was just obvious. Miguel had to be uh, with Brad, and that's going to be the factory team for, for 21. And then uh, you can take care of Danilo for this and this reason. We have this and this and this. And then I'm following, you know, I'm, uh, I would have been happy to keep Miguel. And uh, I'm happy to have Danilo. We will see what we can do together. I know Danilo trusts KTM a lot, believes a lot in KTM. We are every day, you know, talking to each other in the paddock to exchange our impression. He was very happy to see uh, an orange KTM winning the race on, uh, on last Sunday. So we will see. You know, I don't want to make any plans. Uh, I think if you start with a negative feeling, you will go nowhere. Yeah. This is what I'm telling to my guys all the time. So I'm proud to have Danilo. I'm proud to give the, the chance to Ikea to show that he's going to be a strong MotoGP rider if he stops doing uh, some silly mistakes. And, uh, and we will see, you know, but it's, uh, every year is a challenge. And next year is going to be a, a tough challenge. Or hopefully you will be next to me to support me. Yeah, well, we will, of course we will. Definitely, Danilo, well, we, we all enjoy him. And as you say, he's a, he's a great character, but let's not, as you said it, he won on a last lap battle with Mark Marquez and Andrea De Vizioso, who've been one and two in the world in the last three years, and he beat them in a last lap battle around Mugello. So it shows what he's capable of, definitely. Um, I, I don't know about um, you, Neil, but I want to know about, for you from, about something about your past, Hervé, because it was, you've mentioned already, it was such a wrench for you to move. I'm sure from Yamaha, how long was it? Th was it nearly 30 years that you've been working with Yamaha? No, no, Yamaha, 20 consecutive seasons. 20, wasn't it? 20. And, and you won championship in 250s with them. One of the best mo uh, 250 championships there ever was with Olivier and with, uh, with Shinya. So uh, out of all those years, though, what's the memory that you keep with you that, that, you know, that sticks with, with you and with you and your crew? You know, I, I have had uh, some incredible good years. And uh, when I left uh, Yamaha, I told them I had my best years with you. Now, you know, we, uh, we start another adventure. So I enjoyed a lot what we did with Yamaha. Uh, it was a bit the same, you know, when I left Honda in 250, that was the main force in 250. Joining Yamaha that, at that time left the 250 following the Arada, yeah. you know, failure, we, I can say. Everybody told me, you are crazy. This bike is not capable to win. It's only racing in Japan and uh, you want to win the championship next year. And again, I was having the, the support and I would like uh, to thank them a lot from, from you know, our sponsor, which were Chesterfield and um, Mini Chesterfield. Uh, and they, they told me, we support you, we follow you. You're, you're, you're the boss, you know what to do. If you tell us uh, this brand that uh, we don't know is going to be good, uh, let's go. So we switched there and we find uh, a very exciting uh, environment. Uh, we met some really interesting people that were open to listen to you. And the 250 project was a really nice project, but uh, a, a human size, size project. This, this is what I like. And then uh, year one, we almost won the championship and year two, we won the championship. To have won that championship was very important to me because I knew if you wanted to have a team and live as a company, uh, of uh, MotoGP racing, you need to be in the premier class, which is the MotoGP class. And that helped me to move to, at that time, what was called the 500 class, thanks to the fact that we won the 250, uh, together with my two riders. And to give you some good memories, I don't know, you know, I've had so many good memories, you know, and uh, I would link my memories with 
my riders, Joshua, Olivier, and Chinia were incredibly great, and we shared some so intense moments. I would like to say chapeau to how Shinya digests the fact that he was beaten for the championship at 14,000 seconds. He came to the party in the evening and he was smiling and you can see that from a lot of riders. I always remember also, you know, the collaboration with Colin Edwards that you know very well, with Cal Crochlow, with Andrea Dovizioso, and recently, you know, the incredible story of Johan Zarco and mm. Jonas Polger. All these years were, were, were really great, you know, and... Uh, I enjoyed every moment with them. But, you know, at one stage, when you've been around and you know the place quite well, uh, you start to enter in an habit, you know, in habit. And then you... I'm getting old, this is a fact. But also this is due to getting older quickly, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I wanted, a cha- I wanted a challenge. And I never worked with a European manufacturer. And what I was seeing from the outside, I said, oh, these guys amazed me you know the, the the ktm guys and i met pete and instantly it was a, a love story you know i think this is what i like in the life you know you don't need to talk you don't need to make plans you don't need to arrive with a big uh, book with uh, you know all the details calculate talk uh you know give a pro or cons or you know a, a, a negotiation for me you see it in the eyes and uh I went to Matigoffen, I sat down with Pete, we had a coffee, and I can tell you, after five minutes, I knew I was going to go, and he told me the same. And uh, this is how I like, you know, to, to do things in life, you know. Uh, very different than some other MotoGP, you know, team manager, especially in the factory departments. Uh, but this is the way I am, you know. I, uh, I love people, I love feelings. I love to go where my heart is telling me to go. And uh, I felt uh, I wanted to be with these guys. And you can imagine now how happy I am because honestly, it was not easy every day. Uh, We heard so many bullshit, as I said before. And uh, there is no revenge. You know, there is no, it's never nothing negative, but it's just, it's uh, just, uh, you know, a nice story. Yeah. uh, Which I think is not finished yet. And also, this company is taking a lot of risks, you know, giving, giving a right to Brad, giving a right to Miguel, giving a right to Iker. They don't, they don't hesitate and they don't think too much. And I think part of racing, you must be sometimes quite basic. For sure, you have a lot of technical, you have a lot of engineer, you have a lot of uh, things that needs to be done by specialists and you need to, to think twice and progress step by step on this department. But on some other things, you need to let your heart talk. And Neil, look at me in your car. <laughs> what is the most important in life? I mean, in motorcycle racing, this is the man on the bike. Repsol Honda, Triple Crown, world champion rider, team world champion, constructor world champion, where were they in Czech Republic? What has changed? One yeah. guy is missing and the whole, the whole thing is nowhere. And, yeah, yeah. you know, Ralph Valman told me in Donington 99 or 2000, I think, in the press conference, in between being a hero or zero, there is a very fine line. He was lapped by Olivier Jacques, four laps to go. Started to rain, he was last. He was on, on rain tire. He catched that lap in four or five laps and won the race. And he said, yeah. if I he wouldn't have rain, I would have been again like a fool. And now I'm the hero. And this yeah. is true. And you know, a thought for, for, for Ralph, but this is it, you know, and uh, we always have to be humble, keep our feet on the ground, and uh, we are all having fun, enjoying doing motorcycle racing, but never forget, the rider is the key element, the key element, yeah. you know, if you look inside Yamaha now, the satellite team is, has never been beaten so far this year by any factory guy. So, you know, this is it. This is it. So, this is what I like. This is what I like in, in, in this, in this work. Yeah. Just listening to you, explain it really clearly and simply like that. It's, it's given me goosebumps because it's so true. <laughs> you know, the I love. I want to kiss the, you. <laughs> I want to kiss you when you tell me this. 
but it's so true. The the passion of our, our sport, the words like using the words like humble, you've got to stay humble. But that's what you've always done. And that's why you're still in the paddock. That's why you're the, probably the one of, if not the most respected characters in the paddock. That's always run this, what appears like a family team, but, but at the factory level. It, honestly, it's superb. And that's why we all... My dream now is for you to win a MotoGP race. I can't believe you've not. You've been so bloody close. It, but, it, but now, with what we've seen with KTM, you've got Miguel. It's a possibility this year, and that's not a crazy statement, is it? It really is. I know you won't want to, you won't want to jinx it by saying, oh, yeah, I know we can do it, but it is possible. It really is. No, thanks for your words, uh, Neil. I really appreciate it. And I have uh, also uh, the goose spot I like you. But uh, yeah, this is possible. I, I wouldn't have told you that last year because I would look like a fool and I would have lied to you. Today, I think it's possible. We have still many more races to go. Uh, the KTM is, is a bike that can win other races on a regular basis. Um, as you said uh, very rightly, Miguel has seen that uh, Brad did it and it's going to give him a, a lot of uh, motivation. Mm. Um, yeah. you know, I, I have a dream. You know, Miguel is winning uh, his uh, last MotoGP race of the 2010 season on his home ground in Portimao. That would be wow. great, no? That would, that, mean, wow. that would be special. And, 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 and I would have a hug by uh, the, our FIM president. Yeah, well, definitely. Um, Mr. Viegas would be happy. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Oliveira would be happy. And Monsieur Leponge would also be happy. <laughs> There'd be lots of tears, Gavin. Lots <laughs> of tears. Yeah, listen, course, we better let we better let Hervé yeah. go, have we? Because I'm just I'm concerned that we were we're only going to have a half an hour chat with him. I'm just worried for obviously for Hervé's time. We know we know you're a busy, a busy man, man. Hervé. Always a busy no, man. No, 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 no. It's a, it's a pleasure. You two fantastic guys. And uh, again, I'm not polishing any shoes. You know me, but uh, we miss you. We miss you. Uh, and uh, hopefully, we see each other soon, and uh, we'll have a good beer together. I hope that so. I hope so. Fingers fantastic. crossed we'll be back on site, yeah, and be able to enjoy that and maybe celebrate that podium, that victory uh, later on this year. Fingers crossed. For victory, that one. victory, 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 right. victory, victory. Victory. Fingers crossed. Alve, Merci Have a great day yep. and uh, have a good weekend or a couple of weekends in Austria. We will. Thank you. Thank that you so much, We hope so. Cheers, Alve. Merci. Au revoir. Bye -bye. Au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs>
couple of races and doing that. But you know what? It, they made a gamble and it's worked out in another way. And it, it does, yeah. it's the way things happen, isn't it? It's the way life yeah. works. Exactly. I mean, he's the ultimate motorcycling ambassador. You won't get a better ambassador for our sport. If you think of the effort, the work he puts in, he's such a grafter. I don't know how old he is. I mean, he never ages. Does he really? I, I, mean, I think he's... How old are you? I'm 46, so I he must be... I think he's 45. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. But, no, but um, he, yeah, he, he's, uh, the, he's been doing The seasons he's done. Like, imagine... I got into, I went into that paddock in 1993 for the first time as a young teenager, and he was already there as an experienced team owner. You know, like he's done so many years. Think of all the flights, think of all the travel, think of all the missed flights, uh, last lap crashes, sp uh, sponsors pulling out at the last minute, all the shit he's had to deal with, and he sits here talking to me and you like it's his first year involved in the sport with it enthusiasm just pouring out of him. I want to sponsor his team. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, that's, but that's what he's like. And, and that's what we know is that wasn't a show for me and you for the podcast. That's the man we speak to in the paddock. Yeah. You know, when we're there, that's, no, no, that's, that's the it. character. That's it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely right. Nail on, nail on head. Uh, right. Um, let's um, leave people because we've, we've said we're going to try and do shorter versions in some way. I mean, just oh, trying, just trying a little bit. But you've got, you can't stop a... listening to it, can you? Just no. so, so people can get through the whole thing. People are listening to the whole thing, but there's some people who say, "Oh, uh, you know, I'm, I don't run for an hour and twenty minutes." No, not like me. Not like me. <laughs> I was only yeah. looking at the clock because I knew we'd said that we'd got half an hour with him, and yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah, "Right, no, it's, completely. You're it, absolutely it's right. forty-seven minutes now. I don't want to." You know, it's like because he would carry on talking, but I thought. I'd, don't yeah. abuse it so that you know. Is it because is it because you're in the car park at Weatherspoons and you <laughs> want to get in? No, <laughs> it is funny. I've not got my wallet. I never. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It's because I've got my training shorts on. That's why, and I don't have my wallet anyway. Whatever, whatever. Whatever. Some whatever. Excuse. whatever. That, the, when he starts using that excuse when he's in a restaurant, that's when you know. Yeah. He starts Just wearing when he starts wearing his training shorts to a restaurant. That's when I need I, to be worried on so many levels. <laughs> Hang on, just going back. I tell you, if if Hervé, if Miguel Oliveira or Equal Equal wins a MotoGP race for Hervé, bloody hell, I reckon I'd shed a tear. Oh yeah, for him, you know, yeah. because whatever, how many thirty odd years of trying. Yeah, yeah. That's how hard it is to win a MotoGP race. You get a man like like that who's still not had a MotoGP win. So. Completely, completely. Uh, right, we better let people go and enjoy the racing. Um, whenever you listen to this, there'll be something coming up <laughs> this weekend. But yeah, it went, and, and if it's and whatever championship at the moment, it's going to be pretty special because they've all got lots going on. Uh, right, uh, we'll speak to you very soon. Please like, please subscribe, please send us any comments that you have at Gavin Emmett on Twitter at Neil Lodgson one hundred on all sorts of places on Twitter, I think as well. Is that right? Yeah. Is that the right address? Yeah. 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 All right. And we'll, uh, we'll speak to you all very soon. All right. Brilliant. Love Cheers. you, Gav. Great podcast. Yeah. Well done. Cheers. Yeah.